0: Art museums and the works of art that are in them help us to understand the world around us and our place in it. Uh, And I think that that continues to be the case. I don't think that the virus changes that. Uh, The virus may add poignancy to that because, of course, we know that many of these objects um, are survivors. They have been through the ringer over centuries and, in some cases, millennia. And that is, I think, a reassuring thing at a time like this.
1: That is Brent Benjamin, director of the St. Louis Art Museum and president of the Association of Art Museum Directors. And this is Artworks, the weekly podcast produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. I'm Josephine Reed. The St. Louis Art Museum is one of the great museums in the country. It opened to the public in 1881 and has found its home in the Forest Park area of St. Louis since 1906. Until the pandemic, half a million people a year would visit the museum complex with its collection of paintings, sculptures, and cultural objects, as well as its rotating exhibitions and installations. It's very much at the cultural center of St. Louis, not only because of its vast collection but because of its robust cultural programming. Brent Benjamin has a lot to do with that. He came to the museum in 1999, and since then he's guided it into the 21st century. He led the initiative to expand the museum with a new wing designed by famed architect, David Chipperfield. He oversaw the museum's purchase of numerous works of art and secured important gifts of major works as well as collections. And he launched numerous art education and community programs that have drawn more audiences to the museum. Brent Benjamin also had to make the hard decision to shut the museum down temporarily in the face of the COVID 19 pandemic.
0: Well, you know, we had been expecting to need to close the museum early on when the COVID virus started popping up in the US. My CFO and I were chatting, and she's like, you know, we're going to have to close sooner or later. And I said, yeah, let's think about. The framework within which we're going to make that decision, you know, because nobody was going to tell us it's time to close. We were going to have to figure that out. So we obviously looked uh, initially to uh, the recommendations of health authorities at the national, state and local level. We looked at what civic authorities were saying here in the city, and the county of St. Louis, because, of course, this has, as we've seen, has a very different character in different parts of the country. We looked at what peer institutions across the nation were doing. We looked at what large entities similar to us, the zoo, the Botanical Garden, the History Museum, the Science Center, were doing here in St. Louis. And specifically, we looked to see what the schools were doing. Mm -hmm. And on Friday, I think it was Friday, the 13th of March, the governor of uh, Illinois said he would be closing the schools on next Tuesday. And on Monday, the 16th, the governor of Missouri said he'd be closing them. Uh, Wednesday or Thursday. And so that was really, that was really our signal, because we thought when the schools are going to be closed down by the order of the governor, it was time for us to close as well. So anyway, that was the framework. So we were, uh, I went into work on Monday morning, the 16th, not expecting that I would be closing the museum that day. And by 11 o'clock, we decided to close. And so we sent the staff home, and that's where they remain to this day, with the exception of, obviously, a core staff of, security officers and engineers keeping the systems running.
1: And how does the museum get its support typically?
0: So we are uh, rather unusual in that uh, we are very heavily supported by property taxes that come from property owners in the city of St. Louis and in the county of St. Louis, which are separate political entities. So it's it's a taxing district. And uh, back in the 70s, the voters in the city and the county decided to tax themselves to support the art museum and the zoo, which before that had been uh, city agencies. In fact, this was known for many years as the City Art Museum of St. Louis. So the Zoo Museum District came into being, and that'll be 50 years old, actually, in 2022. And that provides about two-thirds of the operating support for the St. Louis Art Museum. And in part because of that, the museum is free to the public.
1: How are you dealing with employees? Are they furloughed? Are they still getting paid? How is that working? I mean, it's such an enormous responsibility you have.
0: Yeah, it's true. And I mean, there are any number of approaches to this. We found ourselves yeah. rather well positioned for this uh, circumstance in that we're very stable financially. We paid off some long term debt last year. We established a very robust operating reserve of 200 days of operating cash. So we're in a very fortunate uh, circumstance. So we sent the staff home and said we'd pay them for four weeks. And then we'd see what this looked like. Because, of course, we had no idea how long this might last. And then about three weeks into that, we told them that we'd pay them through the end of June. So everybody is home. Everybody who can work from home is expected to be working from home. Everybody is on call, so if somebody from the museum calls and says, you know, we need you to come in because we need someone to accompany a contractor who's here working on the roof or whatever it may be, they're expected to come in. And my hope is that we'll be open again before the end of June.
1: Before the end of June. That's part of the problem, isn't it? With with this, I mean, it's unprecedented on so many levels. But part of it is the indefiniteness. Is that even a word? Of the closure, <laughs> one just doesn't know how long it's going to be.
0: Well, it's it's as murky on the reopening end as it was on the closing end, right? Sure. Um, and now of course that we're so many weeks into it and we see that you know there have been just terrible impacts in places like new york and seattle and then there have been much lesser impacts in other places and we've certainly had impact of the disease many people sick and many people died here in the st louis area but we haven't had the kind of density or intensity that has been uh, the case in some locations so the the mayor mayor light here in the city of st louis just 10 days ago said that they would begin relaxing the stay-at-home order here in St. Louis on today, Monday the 18th of May. She did not include the art museum or any of the other organizations and locations where people gather in that. So we were not included. The zoo was not included. uh, The convention center was not included. The casinos were not included, just like I was saying before. Mm -hmm. But we were invited to submit a reopening plan uh, for review by the city. And so we're in the process of doing that. But in talking with colleagues uh, who run the larger institutions here in St. Louis, I think we're all thinking that at some point in June, we'd really like to reopen for the public and that with proper precautions in place, that should be possible.
1: While you've been closed, how have you been engaging with the community? have you expanded your online offerings? What kind of things have you been doing just so you're in front of mind for people in the community?
0: Well, that's a great question. And we found ourselves really well positioned for that because we had just put in place a whole new infrastructure around virtual access to the museum and its collections. And the technical piece of that was completed about a year ago. So we were actually really well set up to be putting some things out. And so we initiated, really within a week, an initiative that's called the object of the day. And so we're sending into every member's mailbox directly and then posting on the museum's website and pushing out on the social media platforms uh, one object from the collection with a brief interpretive text, the kind of thing that you would find uh, on the gallery walls. And it's been remarkably impactful The number of people who have written in and said, that's just great. I look forward to seeing you every day. Thank you for keeping the museum in my heart and my mind while I'm stuck at home. It's the best aspect of my day. Please include my favorite thing. But one of the opportunities it's provided is not only to serve the public of the museum and to do that in a very specific and focused way right here in St. Louis, but to remind people that the collection is comprehensive that there are you know, fantastic works of art of types they may never have thought about. And that might not be a gallery uh, that you would go to um, when you went to the museum, but you might go now. And so it's caused people to really think about the character of the collection, to expand their curiosity about the kinds of things that are in the collection, and to take them out of their comfort zone, right? Whatever that might be, and to actually expose them to other things. In the museum. So that's been really impactful. And we've seen that uh, our visitor numbers are similar to the numbers we had last year on the website. But last year, about 60% of those visitors were looking for information. You know, what are the hours? How do I get there? Is there parking? The usual kinds of things. And now, almost 100% of it is a deeper dive into the collection. So it's been very, very interesting how impactful this has been. Lots of people have written to say, oh, I, you know, I always forward it to my grandkids. And then we talk about it at night. We Zoom together and we talk about the object of the day. You know, people with kids all over the country. It's really been an interesting vehicle for the, the creation of community in a virtual kind of way. So that's been really, really satisfying to see the impact that that relatively simple uh, initiative has had, and people are begging us now to continue it after we, we reopen it. And a number of people say, you know, I'm still not going to be able to go back because I'm, you know, at risk. I'm elderly. I'm whatever. Um. So would you continue it because I want the museum in my life every day? So that's really pretty extraordinary.
1: What a gift! That's wonderful. You know, Brent, as I said, you're also president of the Association of Art Museum Directors, and I'm wondering what you're hearing from museums across the field and just the extraordinary financial burden so many of them are facing Um, and how many of them are reaching out for CARES Act funding or trying to get a small business loan through the Paycheck Protection Program. What are some of the resources they're really trying to, to use to keep going?
0: Yeah. And that's a very complex question. And I would like to back up Uh, from it in terms of answering it, at least initially, that, you know, museums have really four sources of revenue, and those are public resources of the sort of the type that we we receive, endowment income, obviously, earned income in the form primarily of admissions to the museum and admissions to exhibition, but also profits that people may be making on parking operations or on food services or on space rentals or the museum shop. And then finally, annual support, memberships, uh, annual giving. And, you know, each of those revenue streams has been and will continue to be affected by the virus and the implications of the virus and, of course, the economic downturn, right? I think that certainly civic entities are under huge pressure in terms of budget because of sale taxes uh, and those kinds of things. So that's obviously a concern. Um, endowments are down because of the market. With the level of unemployment across the country, we were very much about annual support, all of us. That's not going to be possible for people who have lost jobs. And um,
1: also, but- I don't mean to interrupt, but it's like at the worst possible time, it's an awful time, it's gala season.
0: Well, yeah, there's a, there's a there are spring galas and there are fall galas. <laughs> but you're right, it is gala season. So you can't have a gala today, right? And I've seen some organizations that have done, uh, some virtual things that have been, Mm -hmm. you know, successful in their way. Our gala actually is in the fall. It's actually the first Saturday of December. And we've been talking about that because our question is, well, with all the conversation about a potential bump in the virus load again, you know, in the fall, are we going to be open? We can't have it if we're not open. Will people come? I mean, it's, you know, complicated. But I think that the, the real, Impact, the most unexpected impact is probably the way to say this, is the impact on earned income for those organizations that charge at the door or that depend really in any way on earned revenue. Because when you are obligated to shut down, that flow of funds goes away and your expenses do not, right? You still need to pay salaries, you still need to pay benefits, you still need to pay utilities and debt and all the other pieces that make the business go so that has really been a dramatic impact and so when you hear from museums across the country about the kinds of deficits that they're facing um it's a combination of all these things but earned income has really been a challenge and a problem so you know you've heard certainly people are doing all the things that you would normally do i know some colleagues who have been very successful in working with their boards to raise what you would call a resilience fund Uh, sort of a bridge fund to smooth things out in the short term certainly there have been furloughs and layoffs across the u.s which is you know very unfortunate a number of organizations have applied for the ppp funds which will be you know a great help um and i think we're all thinking how does this affect us not just today but how does this look a year out two years out three years out What's shifting in terms of what we may have been expecting in a way that's going to really compromise uh, our business model? And you know, in a funny way, a colleague said to me, well, you go to a museum and you visit the gallery and see the exhibition and you like it or you don't, And you know, you have an experience, right? But you don't often think about your experience as a visitor in terms of the business that underlies the museum itself. And so you've got a business here. Not unlike many businesses where, you know, every source of revenue has been affected. And so it's a moment that is not only dynamic, but it's really disruptive. And a lot of what we might have taken for granted in the past air freight shipping capacity and cost, uh, predictability of schedules and routes, uh, couriers, all the kinds of things that make an exhibition program uh, go. Those have all been disrupted in just massive ways. And we don't know in what form they'll come back.
1: Michael Kaiser, who, as you know, yeah. had been president of the Kennedy Center, now consults for not-for-profit art managers. He yeah. says his greatest fear is for mid-size institutions, that larger institutions have, have endowments. Smaller ones are used to being poor, and they can be very, very nimble. And I just wonder what your thoughts are about that as, you're, as you look across the field.
0: Well, that's very interesting, and uh, Michael knows a lot about this. I don't know, for art museums, whether it's so much about size as it's about the robustness of their funding streams. So you, mean, you, you might have a very large museum that is very, very weak in regard to its resources and the sustainability of its resources. And you might have a small one, or let's say a medium-sized one, that's very, very strong in that regard. So I'm not sure I would slice it in quite that way. Um, although he's right that small organizations are used to being very scrappy, uh, and large organizations, you know, have a pretty big footprint with endowments and resources and very big depth of support on their boards and so on. And that is probably going to make uh, a difference. But then if you look at the college and university field, and you see what's going on there. Um, and it's not dissimilar, you know, because without tuition, it's very hard to make those organizations go, even with endowments that in some cases are billions of dollars. So, uh, I do think that we're going to, you know, unfortunately see a shakeout. And I think that's probably going to be a, more about financial robustness than it is necessarily about organizational scale.
1: I think it's fair to say the museums that reopen are not going to be exactly the same museums that closed. And I'm sure you're thinking right now about how you can safely reopen. Can you share some of those discussions? What are you thinking about doing in St. Louis?
0: So I'm thinking about the moment we're in and will be in here for the next unknown period of time, right? Six months, 12 months, 18 months, 24 months, something like that. And then I'm thinking about what comes after that. And I think that I have a very different answer to that question, depending on whether we're talking about the now or the, or the future. And as to the now, I think that one of the things that we're toying with is the idea of how much physical distancing to impose and how to do that. We're thinking about what kind of protection we need to offer or mandate for the staff and for visitors and for volunteers. And we're thinking about what that means in regard to the experience of going to the museum and interacting with original works of art. So in our case, uh, and I think in many cases, uh, we're thinking about uh, mandated uh, temperature checks, certainly for staff, possibly for visitors. We're thinking about mandated masks, use of masks in public spaces. We're obviously doing much more frequent cleaning of high-touch surfaces. So, you know, desktops, uh, door knobs, push plates, elevator buttons, all those kinds of things. We're uh, reminding people to socially distance and certainly going to be imposing that in places where people gather. So, for example, in front of the information desk by the entry to the temporary exhibition as people line up outside the museum. And I think most dramatically for us, we're thinking about limiting the number of people who have access to the museum at any given time. And the governor has put out a framework for that, and he said that for spaces that are under 10,000 square feet, which would be our temporary exhibition gallery, those should be uh, limited to no more than 25 percent of their fire code occupancy. And for spaces of larger than 10,000 square feet, which is, of course is the public spaces, and museum, the galleries, the lobbies, the hallways, all that, that those access should be limited to no more than 10 percent of the institution's capacity. So that is a really significant restriction on access. And it's interesting because we're always trying to remove barriers for, to access. Oh, no. <laughs> we spend a lot of time thinking about how to encourage people to visit and how to, you know, how to make sure that they feel comfortable in the museum in every way and how to make sure that they have an experience that's memorable in the positive sense, right? And now we're in a position of saying, oh, you can't go in yet because, you know, we've got 300 people in the building. So you're going to have to wait until someone comes out. Something like going grocery shopping is today outside the store and so on. And it's just a dramatic shift in the concept of welcome and hospitality. And so we're thinking through how that works for us.
1: And I would assume also a a moratorium on interactive exhibits
0: well we don't have so much that is touchable we have a few those will just shut down and one of the wonderful things about these powerful computers we all carry in our pockets that we call cell phones is that we can push these things onto those platforms so you can still access the cat scan of the mummies for example you can still flip the roman coin to see the The reverse side of it, and those things, but you need you'll need to do it on your own device and not on a screen that's in the gallery.
1: And on a more mundane level, I I grew up in New York City and grew up going to the Met. I don't see how you can socially distance in that gift shop. And dining is going to be the other thing in museums.
0: Yeah, Uh, we are working with our food service provider in regard to their protocols uh, for food service, both for safety and for maintaining this kind of distancing. And in a cafe situation, you certainly can put stickers on the floor, whatever, to enforce distancing. Thinking about screens, of course, at the transaction point, thinking about things all being prepackaged and pre-wrapped, you know, and not being served out of a larger bowl or something. Uh, And in the restaurant, uh, we'll have to be distancing tables uh, and, you know, setting it up very differently than it's set up today. Whether that makes economic sense is a whole different question. And that's a question that we're in discussion with them about about now.
1: Programming is going to be challenging when you reopen.
0: Yeah, it's true. Most on-site programming involves gathering, whether it's a gallery talk, you know, or a, a lecture or a member's morning or the book club. or certainly a school visit. You're dealing with groups. You're dealing with groups of 20 and 30 and 40 people sometimes. And lunches and openings and all the different kinds of things that museums do, both in their educational programming and in their development programming and fundraising program. So I think a lot of that is going to have to be discontinued in the near term, just because there's not really a very good way to take 20 people on a introductory tour and ask them to stay stand six feet apart. In some galleries, it's impossible because they're small. So I think a lot of these things will be pushed, again, into some kind of a virtual format. We do think that some of our older patrons may hesitate to come back before the risk is substantially subsided, because, of course, anybody who's in my age category is at risk. So we do think that that in the near term, by which I mean, you know, probably at least 24 months, there's going to be some real upset to our expectations for the museum's uh, public um, we're not even sure that schools are going to be allowed to have off-site activities uh, like a field trip or a curriculum based program at the same.
1: but you said you're also looking at not the near future, but the mid the midway future, the future future. and where 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 are your thoughts going there?
0: Yeah, well, that's actually really interesting. And obviously projecting the future is a fool's errand, but one does have to think about it particularly given that main major exhibitions are typically organized with a two to three to four year lead time. So we're already working on exhibitions for two and three years out. And we're looking at that schedule. And we're looking at some of the disruptions that we've seen in the shipping capacity and the shipping schedule and the incredible increases in costs. Um, and realizing that the kinds of things that we've come to expect just as a matter of course that you could book a flight and you know truck something in a crate to chicago put it on a passenger flight fly it to london with somebody accompanying it deliver it to the national gallery unpack it and come back today that's not possible right uh you the capacity is is almost non-existent the uh are a real problem because of quarantine needs any organization like us that's organizing international loan shows is really going to have to rethink that. And that will come back, but we're not sure what kind of a framework it'll come back in. So we're thinking much more aggressively about uh, programming, of course, drawn from our own collection. We're thinking about collaborative programs with U.S. and North American-based institutions in the near term and maybe of less reliance on big international loan shows. And we think that that's probably going to be a matter of capacity and a matter of cost.
1: And finally, in closing, I'd like your thoughts on what the role of art and culture more generally is in a time like this one.
0: Well, I have always thought that art museums and the works of art that are in them help us to understand the world around us and our place in it. Uh, And I think that that continues to be the case. I don't think that the virus changes that. Uh, The virus may add poignancy to that because, of course, we know that many of these objects um, are survivors. They have been through the ringer over centuries and in some cases millennia. And that is, I think, a reassuring thing at a time like this.
1: Brent, thank you again. I really appreciate you giving me your time. And Pleasure. My my best, best wishes for you for reopening in June.
0: It's a pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. That was Brent Benjamin, director of the St. Louis Art Museum and president of the Association of Art Museum Directors. To keep up to date with the museum's plans and to see some of their magnificent collection, stop by slam.org. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. Subscribe to Artworks and then leave us a rating on Apple because it helps people to find us. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Stay safe, stay kind, and thanks for listening.